This is Double Down, the Bold Ventures podcast, where we speak to some of the most interesting people in the Indian design, tech, and startup ecosystems. Hello, and welcome to episode two of Double Down. This is your host, Soeb Graywall. First of all, I'd like to thank everyone for the support and enthusiasm you guys have shown around the podcast. Uh, we got some really good response around uh, episode one, and I'm sure episode two is going to be very, very exciting as well for you. I'm in conversation with Palav Nadhani. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of Palav before, but for those of you who haven't, he is the founder and CEO of Fusion Charts, a company that makes data visualization tools for developers and businesses. They're a very fascinating company, and in my opinion, we're one of the first few truly global product companies to come out of India. Palov has been uh, hustling and soldiering for over a decade now, and has a ton of experience around product development, distribution, business development, and customer experience, all very large challenge areas for any Indian startup looking to sell internationally. Also, for me as a designer, Fusion Charts is a very interesting company because they're solving a very large design challenge, making meaning out of complex data. And not only that, but allowing people with little to no skills in design uh, to do this fairly uh, effortlessly. And we are very glad to have Palav with us today. So Palav, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Fusion Charts? Right. So Fusion Charts is a data visualization company we build components for developers and solutions for business users primarily centered around data visualization. I mean, there's a lot of data in this world and uh, people need to make sense out of it. And we build components and products which can help business users and developers alike to get sense out of it. It was not supposed to be started as a company, it was just a hobby project in school. And then one thing led to another and here we are 13 years into existence. That's that's crazy. So 13 years, uh, what, what have been some of the largest, uh, what have been some of the challenges for you? Uh, while building out Fusion Charts. It's worth mentioning that you guys are bootstrapped and it would be kind of interesting to hear a little bit about that. You know, what are the sort of challenges that you faced in growing and scaling organically? Uh, right. So at different stages of the company, we've had different challenges. So initially when we were starting out and we started in Calcutta, not exactly a city known for its product, uh, trying to build a team was one of the biggest challenges and uh, you would not have ready product people. So we would get people, train them for a couple of years, on-job training mostly, and then they would be ready to contribute to the product. And secondly, at that point in time, India was not not exactly known for software products. So in the initial days, we had to uh, really convince our customers that, hey, you know what? We can build products from India, and you should go ahead. And and to be able to do that, we had to support them a lot, build uh, write free code for them, and convince them. So we had to prove ourselves as an organization. But those are just the first few years. And later, as and when we moved ahead with uh, more products, how do we create distributed product teams? Because again, Kolkata is not does not have all the talent that you need to create a product, then how do you bring in the design element approach? And later then a couple of other uh, competitors uh, ripped off our source code and started selling a cheaper, uh, differentiated version of the product. So how do you defend yourself in a territory where developers would go for the best product, but also they wouldn't want to pay the maximum amount for it? So trying to strategize around all of that and get a coherent business around that, that was interesting. And then recently, the assault of open source and so many uh, products propping up around open source data visualization and where the basic needs of visualization is being served by those components beautifully, then how do you differentiate yourself in the business? So these have been some of the interesting challenges that we've been, uh, we have solved and we are still solving. That's that's actually interesting. I'm going to pick up on a, a couple of those points. Uh, one is battling against open source because that's really mm-hmm. fascinating. How, how are you guys actually uh, going head to head against uh, open source data, data visualization tools? 
as of today, open source is very evolved and uh, pretty much they can do most of the basic needs of data visualization. And then your platforms like D3, which are more advanced and uh, developers can go and build on top of that. Uh, but one of the things about open source is you're never sure about, hey, what's the roadmap or what's the consistency of the next thing that's coming in? Mm-hmm. And if there's a bug fix, who's going to solve it for you? And is it always enterprise ready? For example, if you need, you might need different kinds of visualizations, you might need to uh, get support as and when you need it. So in some of those areas, open source does not work well. And plus also the fact that uh, to, for us to be able to constantly to be able to even survive, we have to keep building newer things, uh, keeping the intersection of the business user and developer in mind. So a lot of the open source tools today just keep developers in mind, and mm-hmm. they're not always thinking of the business user ahead. So we try to anticipate the needs of the business users and think about, hey, what value can we add to the business user? What additional value can he get out of his data? And we are always thinking around that. So those are some of the differentiation. But let's add the core, the basic charting. I think open source has it all. What's sort of the breakup of, uh, of your customers? What does a typical Fusion Charts customer look like? So uh, we segment our customers into two parts. So one is your standard retail customer. So for example, if you're looking to build dashboards or charts for internal consumption, let's say your MIS reports or your internal dashboards. So we call that the retail customers. And then the other and the bigger segment of our customers is ISVs, uh, software developers or software companies who use our products and embed it within their product to build those dashboards and then they sell it to their customers. So we primarily focus on the latter part. And that is about 65% of our business today. Well, how difficult has it been actually selling to these customers, you know, being based out of India? So uh, interestingly, because we were in a market which was uh, primarily oriented towards developer to start with, so we took the bottom-up strategy and everything was aligned towards that. So a self-serve product with great documentation, lots of examples, uh, pricing which resonates with developers where they don't need to get approvals, a good support system where we guarantee a response within 6 to 24 hours depending on your support contract. So the bottom-up adoption worked very well for us. So in the initial days, it would be individual developers or freelancers or some developer in a company in one particular team. They would pick it up, start implementing in a couple of their projects and then the word spread, other people would see, and they would get excited about this, and they would uh, ask the original developer, hey, how do you do that? So a lot of it was word of mouth, and then we started moving up the value chain, created more pricing tiers, more support layers around that, and even additional products around that. So the bottom-up adoption has worked out beautifully for us. Cool. So essentially, you're in, I mean, you may not be directly doing it, but you're indirectly looking for these evangelists at these organizations that are then going to really promote your product uh, internally. Absolutely. Influencers. And the more they use and the more they talk about it, uh, the more solid footprint we get within an organization. And then eventually, let's say for today, we can directly talk to a VP of a large company who's handing a $200 million PL across for, let's say, embedding across multiple products. So it's almost like a intersection between uh, ensuring a very easy, uh, a very convenient ease of use for the product. And at the same time, would you say that these guys are essentially power users that would, that would then end up turning into early adopters? Is, is that safe to say? Absolutely. So ease of use was one of our, our uh, the most important differentiators, so especially when we started back in 2002. Uh, building a chart on the web was a complex process because you had to install so many different libraries, DLLs, you needed uh, root-level permissions, uh, plus you also needed licenses for all of that. And we came out with this flash solution, which was copy-paste, and we gave a guarantee that if you could not create your first chart in 15 minutes, we'd refund your money. So the entire product philosophy was, how can we make it easiest for the developer to get started in 15 minutes? And that has worked out well, because when people see proof of the pudding and they get the instant gratification, then they are more invested in the product and keep on using advanced features of the product. Yeah, okay, interesting. And you said something about pricing early, and I'd I'd like to build off that. Uh, You know, in in the early stages of your company, when you were sort of seeking out your first few customers, how do you get the pricing right? So we did not get the pricing right. I think there's no way to say if you've even got the pricing right right now. It's a constant 
experimentation based on let's say external conditions of how the competitors are pricing what are the open source solutions available which part of the market are we selling uh, how many features do features or benefits do we have in our product so on and so forth so in, in the initial days uh, the pricing was kept as low as possible i think the minimum pricing that a payment gateway would accept at that point in time which was $15 so we had two products at $15 and $35 then we about a couple of versions later we moved to 35 and 99 then 99 and 499 so the stronger the product was the stronger the community was we increased the pricing uh, but we ensured that the pricing justifies the returns they are getting and then we started introducing enterprise licenses for multi product teams then isv licenses so at different times uh, in the at different times in the journey of the company based on what the customers were asking and how they were using it we kept on revising our pricing and our internal philosophy is that if about 5% of users complain about pricing we're just about price right that's actually a very interesting way to look at it. I was keen to ask you that because, uh, you know, when you started out, there was very little competition for what you were doing in terms of, you know, a product like yours. And that becomes uh, increasing. I mean, that becomes very hard. You know, when you're dealing in a virgin territory, you don't necessarily know what sort of pricing is really going to hit the, 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 the mark. So it's almost like an iterative process, right? Much like how you would iterate on product development, you need to iterate on the business side of it as well. Absolutely. It never stops. So I, I wanted to ask you, uh, what is... What is the relationship at Fusion Charts between your customer support team, so the people who are actually listening to and supporting the customers and understanding their pain points, and uh, the product development team? Is there is there a structured relationship between these two teams? Uh, what does that sort of look like? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's completely structured because the customer facing team is our first point of contact, uh, first human point of contact with the customers or prospects who are trying a product. Uh, if they're looking for something which is already in the product, it's fairly simple. They just tell it to them. But if they're looking for something which is not there, the customer support team has to go through the engineering team and we have a structured product management process and we use a product called Atlassian Jira to be able to manage that. So we have internal wish lists, roadmap lists, and uh, we structure it saying, hey, this is a short-term uh, commitment, mid-term commitment, or a long-term commitment. Or in some cases, some features which customers ask and we think it does not go with the DNA of our product, we say this is not something we can do and we uh, tell our customers or prospects where, uh, in which other product they can find it. So everything that the customer asks, which is not there, from customer support team, it first has to go to the engineering team and the engineering team gets involved in trying to figure out, hey, how can we solve it today or in the next version? Uh, so I have another question uh, around customer experience. Of course, user experience is a, is a very important thing in terms of the product and you know ease of use that we already sort of spoke about. But how do you ensure a good customer experience beyond the product itself? Okay. So our product actually has two users. So the first user is the developer who's integrating our product into the application. So a business user cannot directly consume our product because it's a developer library. So the developer has to integrate our product in his application, connect to the data sources, customize or configure it based on his application. And then there's a business user who consumes this chart or this uh, uh, data visualization. Now, for the developer, the user experience has to be as easy to be able to get his first chart or the relevant feature up and ready. So first chart, mm -hmm. we make it so simple for him in terms of connecting to his data sources or the data formats and with very smart defaults so that he doesn't have to give too much thought. But when he has to extend that feature, he has to go outside the product, either to the documentation or to some of the ready-made samples or demos. And most people do not exactly know what term do you go use and search for. So we, we put a lot of effort in building about thousands of examples, thousands of pages of documentation, ready-made business dashboards, all of which are very visual, and they can just go and look at it and say, hey, I want this. And then they can just go and see the code behind it or what was used to configure that. So that's supported by a great documentation, uh, very, very high-value community forum with about 35,000 users, and 
a personalized support within 24 hours. So whatever a developer needs to do, he should be able to find first himself or through the community or in the last resort, he can reach out to us. From a business user perspective, the main reason why he's looking at a chart is so that he can find some insights from data. So what are the tools you can mm-hmm. give to the business user, obviously controlled by the developer, because again, it's, a, and, uh, it's not an end user product, which the developer can enable for the business user. And that is where we are thinking of doing a lot of innovation in the next version, making it more and more oriented towards uh, exploration of data and finding insights and not just a one-way representation of uh, the data, what the developer thought about. You, you mentioned a little bit about uh, the kind of customers that you have, but I know that you have some some really exciting uh, people using your product right now. I think NASA uses your product. The White House uses your product. Uh, what, what, what does NASA use Fusion Charts for, if you're allowed to tell us that is? So some of that is for the reporting the internal scientific uh, experimentation data. Um, okay. The other parts, uh, we would not be able to tell on this call. Okay, no, that's that's totally cool. Can, can I ask you what the White House uses it for? Is that completely off limits as well? Oh, no, so they use it on a lot of the public websites. So, for example, uh, they had a site called it.uspending.gov where uh, they had a visual dashboard for uh, to track all the money, tax money, which is being spent on IT projects in the U.S. And this was inaugurated by Barack Obama, and that's how we were lucky to get a photo of uh, him using our product. Uh, so all the visualizations cool. on that, and in the initial days, data.gov as well. Wherever they had data, they would need visualization, and we'd come in for that, and they'd use a product to be able to do that. Interesting. And so was it the in-house team over there deciding the actual visualization themselves, or was that a project where you were perhaps a little bit more hands-on in helping them uh, meet that objective? Oh, no, their teams. Uh, we, we don't do any consultancy, so to speak. So we just build our product, sell it out, and we give a lot of demos and examples and dashboards, which inspire people on how to use it. But we do not provide hands-on consultancy, uh, especially in project modes. That's interesting. So that's that's actually very interesting, and uh, that's that's a point that I'd like to dig a little bit deeper. Uh, a lot of product companies in India uh, tend to end up going into services mode, especially in their early days when they're trying to get their first few customers. How do you resist the urge? to be very hands-on with your customer and go into consultancy mode to make the first few sales? I mean, how do you, how do you ensure that you set the expectation right from the get-go for the customer so they won't necessarily expect that of you? So uh, actually, I don't think going into the services mode in the initial days is actually wrong, uh, but not with the incentive to sell. So for example, when we started out, uh, we also implemented a lot of customer projects, but we never charged for consultancy. Um, we would we'd do okay. thousands of dollars of free coding to sell a $99 license, but the aim was not the sell. The aim was to be able to understand how would they use the product, what are the deficiencies in our product, what further should we build for. So all the services were, were with the intention of, of finding the product market fit, the validation part of it, uh, not with the intent to sell so in that case the customer knows that we are not providing them a consultancy we're trying to help them and in return all we are asking for is product feedback but once we've established that we stopped all that uh, services or consultancy so to speak because the focus was just on making a great product so essentially you use that as a as an opportunity to do some hands-on user research and then you got your product to a point where it could actually replace you in that entire setup. Is that Absolutely. correct? Yeah, no, that's actually really, really smart. In fact, I think that's the distinction a lot of people uh, don't pick up on when they're doing this in their early stages. So I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Now, uh, Palav, I think Fusion Charts is a, is a very interesting company because there's a massive design element to it, right? You are doing data visualization. Mm-hmm. Uh, data visualization as, as a subsector of graphic design uh, has been around for such a long time and it's been a very core component of graphic design. Now, how does how does Fusion Charts approach design? Because in a certain way, you are trying to solve a design problem. Right. 
So uh, Design for Us was very interesting uh, from a diff couple of different vectors. So first up, uh, when somebody, so for example, if you talk about design, newer designs in data visualization, uh, typically that would not work. So people are used to their standard charts. If you give them a new form of visualization, that's again a cognitive load for them first to learn the visualization and then to make inference from their data. So a lot of our design mm -hmm. thinking was about how to use people's existing knowledge of what they know about visualization, but add augmented layers on top of them to be able to help them get out of data. Second thing is because we are a component which gets embedded across various applications, uh, we have to be very, very clear about the fact that our product cannot have a design personality. Because if it has a design yeah. personality, it will not be generic enough to fit into all the web and mobile applications. So we have to give them all the customization and configuration options, but with a very smart default so that people can get started in 15 minutes. Uh, the third part was at that point in time when we started, especially in the 2002 to 2009 era, 3D was still in, but 3D is actually pretty horrible for data visualization. So how do mm -hmm. you use isometric 3D designs, which still helps visualization? So for example, when we did 3D visualizations, we actually did not do through 3D. We kind of did a fake or pseudo 3D, which was in mm -hmm. conjunction of, uh, in, in line with the aspect of making sense out of data but not uh, essentially hindering the experience of visualization. So it was fake 3D. People could see it animating, bouncing, but the lines to be able to uh, compare the data, those were all flat. So kind of isometric kind of pseudo 3D. And then on top of that, so initially we also did a few design, a few things uh, wrong in design. For example, uh, each column having a different color on the chart, which did not make sense from a purist point of view. But our business users mm -hmm. loved it because at that point, web was not as evolved and not as exciting as it is today. So some wrong decisions also helped us in hindsight. Uh, some things which we did wrong intentionally, like fake 3D, also helped in the data visualization. But all throughout, we have tried mm -hmm. to keep it, keep, uh, keep it very generic. And from the experience perspective, the only question we ask uh, every time we think of a design is, hey, for the same data, for the same chart, can we do anything to help the user get additional value out of that data? Now, that might not okay. always be a UI problem. That might be a UX problem, so to speak. But what is the business user looking for when he's looking at this chart? Is he in the exploratory mode? Is it an explanatory one? Or is it just a piece of art? And based on that, we try to figure out what would be the interaction models or what would be the best way to do sequencing of data or presentation to be able to deliver value to him. How many designers do you have on, on your team? Do you have full-time designers on uh, your yeah, team? Yeah, we got a couple of them. So one for each product. Okay, and do you have anyone in-house that's actually uh, doing a lot of the thought leadership on data visualization, or is it mostly you that's that's leading that uh, that push? Oh, no, everybody in the engineering team has to contribute. So they have to go through uh, reams and reams of documentation on the history of data visualization, starting right from William Playfair to today's uh, data visualization methods, keep trying new software, figure out what's good, uh, have discussions. So we have these lengthy, lengthy abstract discussions on why data visualization at all. What can replace data visualization? Uh, when a developer bids a data visualization, does he, knows what, does he know what his business user wants? If two business users see the same chart, will they look at it the same way? So there's always a lot of discussion going internally on the why of data visualization. And sometimes they come up with very, very irrational thoughts, but they're worth uh, listening out. And some of them give us crazy ideas, which we then try and experiment. That's that's really good. I mean, getting getting everyone up to speed in a certain way, you're, you're trying to imbibe a little bit of design in your entire organization. So that's actually really, really exciting. Now, Pallav, I know that you have been a fairly active angel investor over the last few years. How many investments have you made so far? Uh, so about 21 right now. Where do they sort of lie? I mean, uh, what, what are some of the, the themes or sectors or areas that you've sort of been investing? So my favorite area is global products. Okay. Uh, where about half the investments are in global products. Uh, the second area is about the team, where like the team, 
whatever challenge they were solving, but where I wanted to work with the team, help them out, and in fact, a lot learn back from them. So some have been in financial, uh, so for example, financial videos for instant gratification, uh, then corporate gifting, but as a service, so a whole bunch of them. And then an interesting was in agriculture, agriculture traceability, because I still think agriculture is an underserved market from a technology perspective. So uh, varied, uh, varied perspectives on all of them. And so this, this agriculture company was uh, CropIn, That's right. right? Okay, excellent company. I love what they're doing. In terms of global product, I think global products has been one of those areas that's always been fairly popular in India. I mean, at least there's been a little bit of consistency in terms of uh, both from the entrepreneur side as well as from the investor side and in investing in and building global products. Uh, where do you see global products uh, going right now? I mean, what are some of those areas that that are that are exciting for you or some of those areas that you think uh, should be addressed that are not being addressed? So uh, rather than looking at specific uh, verticals, the way I look at it is uh, what products can you make to utilize assets better? Now, there are a lot of existing assets in terms of either IP or people or existing machines. So anything as a service is a layer on top of these assets which help them make it better. Simple example for, uh, let's say, uh, let's take the example of HR. You have a very fragmented industry today, let's say in the case of SMB. So you have an applicant tracking system, then let's say you have an HRMS, then you have another product for exit management, and none of those systems talk to each other, and the value of the uh, learnings is gone. Now, if you look at a corporation or an organization, people are the most important asset, and the specific data or learnings on them and learnings from them, that is completely lost from one step to another. Why can't there be a product which helps us uh, coherently understand everything about people, their actions, learn from them, learn from our mistakes. So that's just one part of looking at asset utilization, which is already there. So, and you can apply this to marketing. So for example, again, in marketing, you have fragmented systems. So you have a Google Analytics, maybe you have a MailChimp, you have something else, uh, maybe a HubSpot or a marketing automation. How do you tie all of this to get insights, both as the uh, founder of the company or even as a marketing manager, and where you can make data-driven decisions and learn from that. So some of these areas of, using existing assets, utilizing them and learning from them is very exciting to me. Mm -hmm. Cool. So um, besides global products and global SaaS, uh, there, there are definitely certain, certain verticals, certain business functions, uh, you know, HR, legal, compliance that are actually quite local in nature. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on some opportunities for uh, startups to tackle some of these very localized enterprise problems in India. So SaaS products looking at solving these local product, uh, local challenges here in India itself. So I think that's already happening. I mean, if you look at HR in India, most of the small companies are using Indian products because the uh, the rules are different, the compliance uh, uh, the compliance laws are different, so on and so forth. So similarly, if you look at accounting system, uh, no global product has been able to come and replace Tally. While it's not a SaaS, but that's de facto number one. Uh, choice of accounting software in India. So for some of these um, categories, local products work well, and then eventually you can adapt them to global markets, for example, what Zero is doing to accounting here. Mm-hmm. But uh, great opportunities here uh, in terms of some of these local markets. Uh, but unfortunately, we have not seen some like a success which started with the local market and then took to global in this category. So we'd love to see that happening in the coming years. To finish off, Pallav, what's the best way to find you? Just, you can just email it to me, Pallav at fusioncharts.com. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much, Pallav. Thanks for taking out time. I will catch up with you next time I'm in Bangalore. Absolutely. Thanks, Shwet. Great talking to you. Great talking to you as well. This episode of Double Down is brought to you by Blue Tokai Coffee Roasters. They visit farms across India to source beans directly from award-winning growers. Blue Tokai's coffee is roasted on order to ensure the freshest flavor. 
They ship all over the country and have a convenient subscription program to make sure you never run out. Use promo code BOLDCOFFEE at checkout for 15% off on your next order. Check them out at bluetookeyecoffee.com. <laughs>